The going gets tough. That's what we're thinking about today in Acts chapter 12. And being a church that's effective in turning the world around us upside down, it's important that we're able to endure the tough times, for they certainly will come. After the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, the church in Jerusalem then enjoyed a, a period of peace. Now, we aren't giving a, a time scale in the book of Acts. The way you read it, you almost think it's one week after another, but it's a much longer period than that. And there was a time of relative peace within the church. But then things change here with these horrendous events here at the beginning of Acts 12. And our first point, therefore, is expected persecution. And we see, first of all, here the violent hands in verse 1. About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belong to the church. Violent hands come from a violent heart. And we shouldn't be naive about the hatred in the heart of the unsaved towards the gospel and towards those who embrace the gospel. Sin means the unsaved are enemies of God, enemies of God within their hearts. Therefore, those who stand for God will be in the firing line. That's something we must always remember, that we will be under attack. The second thing we see here is the killing of James in verse 2. And we shouldn't underestimate the impact of this upon the apostles. These were real people. This was someone who was their friend, someone that was close to them. He's the brother of John. He was one of that inner circle, along with Peter and John, who was Jesus' closest friend. So this is one of the most prominent people among the apostles. And so losing him would have been a, a tremendous blow. There would have been a, a state of shock that went throughout the church. And then we have the arrest of Peter in the beginning of verse 3. Notice there what it says about Herod doing this. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, that's killing James, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Opposition to believers can often be carried on on a wave of popularity. Sadly, there can be delight among the unsaved at times in seeing Christians suffer. And that's not the case. There's many unsaved people have sympathy and, and love towards their Christians they know. But there are times when you can see unsaved people almost like a, a pack of wolves harboring in for the kill. Now, these events which happened would have been, should have been no surprise to the apostles because Jesus said not that long before this, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And that goes not just for the apostles, that goes for every Christian. If they persecuted Jesus, if we are faithful to Jesus, we will suffer persecution as well. So we should not be surprised. We should expect opposition, particularly when we're faithful in speaking up for Jesus, there will be a kickback. And sometimes the real reason for opposition we face will be disguised. Maybe there's somebody in your workplace or someone in your classroom and they have it in for you, and you don't understand why. 
Not all of us, but sometimes it can be because they know you're a Christian. So let's be aware of that. Expected persecution. It will happen. But then secondly, we see here mysterious providence. It begins, first of all, with the faithful prayer there in verse 5. I love this, this verse. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. God's sovereign actions use the prayers of his faithful people as a starting point. I love the old saying of Matthew Henry, when God goes to move, the first thing he does is to set his people a-praying. God uses the prayers of his people, your private prayers, your prayers together, to indeed fulfill his plans. And in these challenging days, the church united to pray and because they saw it as crucial if they were going to see God to move and to act. And similarly for us today, if we want to see God moving, if we want to be sustained in challenging times, we need to pray. And more than that, we need to pray together. We need to unite to pray. If you have a desire to see people saved and you want to work to see people saved, alongside that, you have to meet with God's people to pray for God to move. There's no point talking about these things and wanting change to happen if we fail to use the greatest weapon of all, talking to our Heavenly Father and talking to Him together. And then we have the glorious deliverance in verses 6 to 11. The leading by this angel of Peter, uh, the chains falling off his, his wrists, the the opening of the doors and the fact that the, the guards failed to notice what was going on. This was all truly uh, miraculous. I, I love that bit where it talks about there was no small commotion uh, the next day when they got up and Peter was somehow wasn't there. But the question I ask you is, do you believe that God can do this today? Do you believe in this God today? We must resist the view of the world which is a a closed world. We've talked about this, about how science hasn't a place for God sometimes. There's a closed sense of the world. We're not to think of the world in that way. We live in a world that is sustained by God, that God rules over everything, and God intervenes in this world. And we need to pray and pray expecting that God will move and God will intervene. And we need to believe that the power that indeed rescued Peter all those years ago is the same power that God has today. He hasn't lost his power, you know. There's an amazing story about a man called Brother Yoon. If you've ever read the book or see the book, The Heavenly Man, it tells his amazing story. He was arrested, and he was held in prison for his faith. He was tortured in prison. He was in Zhengzhou, maximum security prison, which is said that no one ever escaped from it. And yet, he escaped from it. How did he escape? Well, he was guided by God to get up and to walk. And amazingly, the doors were open, and he just walked out the door of the prison. He walked out the door of the prison in full view of all the guards, but he said it was as if he was invisible to them. He just walked out and was able to go on and to serve the Lord. 
What an amazing God we worship. And then thirdly, we have the unexpected joy in verses 12 to 17. Uh, This account of Peter going to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, it's fascinating and it's even, I think, it's funny. It's amusing here. Uh, Rhoda, when she hears that Peter is at the door so excited, uh, she forgets to open the door and leaves him standing there and runs back in. And the apostles then, they don't believe it's him. They talk in verse 15 about it being his angel. This idea of it being his angel, it came from the, the Jewish belief that everyone had a guardian angel. Now, that's a, a lovely idea. I hope it's true, but there is no biblical teaching that that is true. We're never actually taught in the Bible that we each have a guardian angel. But there are many angels who are watching over his people. Here the Christians we see they had been praying, but had they been expecting an answer to their prayer? Were they really believing as they prayed and no doubt prayed for Peter to be rescued? You know, in our praying, we have to ask that question. When we pray, do we believe that God can do this? Do we believe that God is listening to us? In our praying, we should risk asking for too much rather than for too little. Do we just pray for things which we think might likely happen or for things that are easy for God to deliver? We need to pray for more than that. We need to pray big prayers. And we need to prefer to be disappointed with big prayers that are not answered rather than missing out because we don't ask God for enough. James 4 and 2 speaks about how you do not have because you do not ask. How much have you missed out in your life? How much have we missed out as a church? because of things that we have failed to ask for. And part of failing to ask is maybe because our view of God is too small, too small. He's a big God, and He can cope with big requests. This leads us then to the probing question here. Why was Peter delivered here? And James was not. Was James less deserving than Peter? Well, there's nothing to suggest that that's the case. Did they fail to pray for James enough in the way they prayed for Peter? Again, there's nothing to suggest that that's true. All we can say is that there's a real mystery in the providence of God as to why he answers some prayers and delivers some people and not others. Even when we're praying for healing, sometimes God answers that prayer. Even think of the whole COVID pandemic, and there were good Christian people who were prayed for, and sometimes there were folk who were healed in some amazing ways. And there were other good Christian folk who were not healed. 
there's a mystery in this. Jesus, in John 19, revealed to Peter, remember when he reinstated Peter? He revealed to him that he would die for his faith and indicated that John the apostle would not. And when Jesus was questioned about this by Peter, he basically said to Peter there in John 19, basically, Peter, that's none of your business. That's God's business. And basically, there are things which God doesn't give us the answer to. But God has revealed enough to us so that no matter what God's answer is, we know we can trust Him fully. And we can trust Him fully even when the answer to our praying is no. And remember this, the Lord Jesus, when He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, part of the answer to His prayer was no, Jesus. Because remember, He prayed, Lord, of your will, take this cup from me. And the answer to that was no. But he was given the strength to go on and to take the cup. So what does God reveal to us? There are things which remain mysterious, but he reveals enough that we know we can trust him, even when the answer is no. But because an answer is no, that should not stop us from keep asking big requests. And then we come to our final point, which is the righteous judgment in verses 18 to 24. And this begins with Herod's anger. The king was furious at how Peter had escaped, and in verse 18 to 19, sadly, he had these guards executed, and it was no fault of their own. Like, how can you fight against God and against His angel? The king's fury, we see in verse 20, was also directed at the people of Tyre and Sidon. This king was an angry man. Here's a king in a bit of a rage. But then we see Herod's praise in verse 21 to 22. In a meeting to mend the bridges and to create peace between Herod and the people of Tyre and Sidon, they get carried away. Herod is there in all his regal splendor on his throne. He does this fine speech And look what we read there in verse 22. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. They ignored the teaching of Jesus about giving respect, yes, to those who rule over us, but do not give praise to them, which is due to God alone. You remember when Jesus was asked about paying taxes, he he got a coin. He was so clever because the coin actually said that the emperor was divine. And he held the coin up and said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, pay your taxes. He is the government over you. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but give unto God what is God. So pay your taxes, but don't worship him as God, because there's one true God. And here the people of Tyre and Sidon, they fall into that trap. And they give praise, which is due to God alone, to Herod. And this leads thoroughly to Herod's condemnation there in verse 23. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he is eaten by worms and breathed his last. 
He's condemned because he fails to give the glory that is due to God. He is seeking that glory upon himself. And here we see the very essence of sin. If you were asked to describe what sin is, I wonder what you would answer. One of the best answers is sin is anything that fails to give the glory that is due to God. Sin is a life that doesn't give God the honor and praise that he deserves. Remember how Paul describes sin? For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have failed to give God the honor and the praise with our lips, with our lives, that he truly deserves. If you're not a, a Christian here today, if you're not saved, and you think on the judgment day that you'll be all right because you've lived a good life and you haven't done anyone any harm, the question you have to consider is, what have you done for Jesus? Have you lived for his glory and his honor? And the greatest way that you can glorify God is by embracing Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And if you have failed to do that, you have failed to live for his glory. But here's a challenge for, for us Christians. Do the words that we use, do the thoughts that we have, do the actions that we do, do we glorify God? Remember what Paul says, if you eat or drink, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Or do we profess one thing on a Sunday, but the way we live through the week, it dishonors our Savior. We were thinking on Wednesday night at the, the men's midweek about the tongue and how James says, out of the same pond there cannot come salt and fresh water, and how out of the heart it's people praise God and then curse their brother. That's not right. I remember the story, I'm sure I shared this before, about W.P. Nicholson. He was doing a, a mission in Tobermore, and he was going around the, the town of Tobermore, and he noticed the tailor had not been on his mission, and he asked the tailor, why were you not at the mission? And he says, well, I'm not going to go to your mission because so many of those people who are organizing it owe me money and will not pay their debts. And Nicholson replied, if I get you your money, will you be at the mission? He says, I will. And Nicholson got up that evening and says, I have a list of those who owe the tailor money. And if they do not give him his money and he's not here tomorrow night in the front row, I'm going to read the list out. The following night, the tailor was on the front row. Now, Nicholson was abrupt in his ways, but he was right because we're playing games if we want people to come to trust in Jesus, if we want to Christ to be glorified with our lives, but do not deal fairly and properly with people in the rest of the week. May God give us the grace to be faithful and to glorify our Savior in all that we do, in our dealings with others. And then fourthly, we have Herod's inability. Look how what verse 24 says about his death. 
but the word of God increased and multiplied. Through Herod's violence towards God's people, particularly through his violence towards the apostles, Herod was not able to stop the advance of the Word of God. What did Jesus say? I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. And for 2,000 years, even longer, the gates of hell have been seeking to destroy the church of God. But it continues to grow. It continues to flourish. You know the expression, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I think as Christians, I don't think we should use that expression. Our expression should be, when the going gets tough, God gets going. And can't we trust Him fully? Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful chapter. Yes, it's so sad, and your dear servant James, how he was treated. And, but Father, we thank you that on his death, he was just taken to glory, away from the struggle. But Father, for your children who continue to have to struggle and to battle, Father, you remained with them. You were faithful to them, and we, we praise you for the way you rescued Peter, the way you encouraged the church. Oh, Father, grant that indeed we would understand that you're the same God. You haven't lost your power to rescue at all. Oh, Lord, may we trust you fully. Lord, teach us to pray with great expectation. Teach us to pray, acknowledging who you are and what you can do. Teach us to pray, Lord, big prayers. And Lord, just guide us to pray according to your will. And Father, may our lives be lived for your glory. Forgive us, Father, for whenever that is not the case. Forgive us, Father, for where we're inconsistent between what we profess and how we live. And Father, just help us, we pray, to be more faithful. And Father, for those who have never come to Jesus, who have never glorified Him by embracing Him as Savior and confessing Him as Lord, even today, give such grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.